Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Obis Partners. I'm your host, Tim Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And it's our show. We're talking about, should I add a minor dwelling on the back of my section? Now, this is one of the key strategies many investors have used in the past. Now, Andrew, you're an old school property <laughs> investor. What is the strategy? Did you just call me old? Was that what that was? That was what that I is. said old school. Yeah, it's and beca- I saw the smirk on your face when I asked you that. So let's say you own a property already. It's an existing house. And it's got a heap of land. So a lot of the old houses do have large sections. You might have a quarter acre section. And you decide, hey, I'm going to build another dwelling or I'm going to put another dwelling on the back of it. You might not necessarily subdivide because you might not want to have to pay for that. Or you might not be able to under the council regulations. But you want to rent it out and generate extra income to help with cash flow. And it's the classic old school property investment strategy of getting as much money from your asset as possible. And in fact, some investors do this for their own house. I recently met an investor at our property day out down in Christchurch who's doing this at the moment to Airbnb out that minor dwelling on the back of her section. Did they build it for that purpose? Yeah, exactly for that purpose. Now, what sort of minor dwellings can you actually build and what do they look like? How many bedrooms are they? Now, when we talk about minor dwellings, we're talking about something that's 60 to 65 square metres And generally speaking, there are fewer council regulations when it comes to it. That's why you might be able to put it on the back of your section, whereas you might not have the ability to build a larger three or four bedroom property on the back of your section. Now, typically, if you're going to build something that's 60 to 65 square metres, you're talking about something that's got two bedrooms and a bathroom. I have seen plans with three bedrooms in, but they're a little bit more rare. Now, what's something going to rent for? Okay, so we bang on a two-bedroom, one-bathroom minor dwelling on the back section. Well, it depends on your area, but somewhere between four dollars to $600 would probably be realistic, depending on where it is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, probably a place like Queenstown at the moment, you might be able to get a really high rental income from it. So it will vary depending on where you're based. We'll give you some examples of what those returns look like in a moment. But just before we do, Andrew, how much money does it take to build a minor dwelling? Okay, so there are two ways that you can put one of these properties on your section. So you can get a building company to come along and they can actually do just a general construction and put down the slab and build a unit on the back. Or one of the other ways that's becoming more and more popular is having a prefabricated unit. So that's when it will be built off-site and it will be craned in or trucked in and placed on your section. Now, what is that going to cost me? What's a two-bed minor dwelling usually look like? So Keith Hay Homes advertised between $216,000 and $230,000 for a two-bedroom minor dwelling. Ecopod advertised theirs at $250K for a three-bedroom. And Williams Corporation have actually been advertising their new ear home, and that's $130,000 for a studio bedroom. And it has a bathroom and a kitchen included. Yeah, yeah, that's a one-bedroom option in that case. So the cost ranges from your low 100s all the way up to about a quarter of a million dollars. But what's really important when you're looking at all of these developers' websites or building companies' websites is there are extra costs, and these can add up quite substantially. What sort of things are we looking at? Yeah, so this is the other thing to remember. You might have council consents, you've got foundations, you've got the delivery of the product, particularly if it's a prefab, you've got decks potentially, steps, and you've got the connection of your water and power. Now, Williams Corporation break down a range in their brochure between $30,000 and $80,000. 
for the full installation. So all up, it's going to cost you between $200,000 and $300,000 to get a minor dwelling installed under these ranges. Yeah, it could even be up to $350,000. I think it's really those extra costs that are going to sting a lot of people. It's probably going to cost a wee bit less if you're craning something onto your property as a prefab compared to if you're getting somebody in to do really nice landscaping, build a nice deck onto your minor dwelling, maybe do some concrete pouring, put it in a new driveway to extend out to that minor dwelling, create a little carport. Oh, the costs really start to add up there. Now let's talk about the rental returns that you might get. So let's say that we go on the cheapest end of that and we say it's 200k to get a studio installed and you rent it out for 400 bucks a week. Now I'll get you to talk about the cash flow in a second, Andrew, but that's about a 10.4% gross yield on your spend, which is pretty attractive, actually. That's good. But what you've got to remember is the reason that that works is that the land is free. And of course, the land is not free. You've already paid for it. But there's no marginal cost for that land. So it's not that, hey, oh my God, I should go buy some land and then put some minor dwellings on it. Oh my God, minor dwellings have an outrageous gross yield. It's a gross yield on what it takes to put the minor dwelling there. It appears to have a high gross yield because you're not paying for the land. It's funny you mentioned that the open day we did recently in Christchurch, a guy came up to me at the end and he said, how much does one of these cost to build? And so I did some really rough numbers. I think I said, you know, say they're on average 100 square metres and it's $4,000 a square, all said and done, that's $400,000. It's, oh, great, I can put one on my backyard and sell it off and, it's, and I'll make $200,000. I was like, no, 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 it's not quite that simple. Well, that's because if you're going to sell off a property on your backyard, then you've also got to take into account the fact that your land is going to be smaller. So the value of your house has now gone down in value. Now, it depends whether he cares about releasing the cash flow or maintaining the value of his land, but we digress there. So, Andrew, I've spent my $200,000. I'm getting 400 bucks a week, 10% gross yield. What's the cash flow look like, though, today at these higher interest rates? Okay, so I did the numbers on the year home. I put $200,000 total cost, so total cost and total value. I used an interest rate of 7%. I've worked on $400 a week rent. And again, I've applied no cost to the land because it's on the back of the land. And then I've said, okay, well, if you're going to rent that out through a property manager, which you might not, you might just do it yourself if it's on your backyard. But if you're using a property manager because it was on an existing rental, you might be 7.5% plus GST and a letting fee. And then I've allowed for $350 a year maintenance, which probably seems about right. Probably might not be quite that bad. So at the moment, with today's interest rates, your cash flow would be positive about three and a half grand a year once you've paid your mortgage. Next year, if interest rates come down to 6%, that gets up to 6300 And then by year three, it's about $8,000 positive. So even at higher interest rates, you might make it somewhere between three to up to eight grand over the next couple of years. That's based on the fact that interest rates are obviously coming down or expected to come down and that rent slowly increase over time. But if you were to install one of these today and borrowing all of the money, really important to note that, yep, you might get a 10% gross yield, but the amount of cash flow you're going to make is about $3,000 off that, which is about a 1.5% cash on cash return. I think we're, if you look at it over the 15-year period, we said to be about fifty grand better off in cash flow. So for people at the moment, they've got rentals which are cash flow negative because of the tax implications that have come in with the 
interest deductibility, this could be a great way of supplementing that and having some offset. Yeah, adding any sort of minor dwelling on there could be an option to consider, depending on the money you've got to be able to put it on there. One thing that I think a lot of investors will ask as well is, will my property get the same level of capital growth if I add a minor dwelling onto it? Now, I've looked at the numbers of home and income properties compared to other types of properties. And from the numbers I've looked at out of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, it is very similar. So if I look at the ratio between, well, how much does a home and income property cost compared to other types of properties? Generally, home and incomes in Auckland, and I use it there because there's lots of data, they're about 35% more expensive than another type of property. And this hasn't really changed much over the last roughly 30 years worth of data I've got. So if a property costs a million bucks in Auckland, the equivalent home and income property might be 35% more expensive, might be $1.35 million. It's funny because I was just talking to an investor the other day from Auckland who was wanting to buy some of these duplexes, so buy a three-bedroom house and a two-bedroom house. And his argument was that you'll get better capital growth out of that than a normal house because that's the way that we're living in the future. But there's no. no data suggests that, is there? No, there's nothing to suggest that would be the case. In fact, many people might argue that it would get less capital growth. And the reason you might argue that is, well, I've got a smaller pool of people I can sell this property to if it's got two dwellings on there because not everybody wants that. One other thing I've looked into is, okay, well, if I've got a more limited market because not everybody's going to want to buy this home and income property, will it take longer to sell? Well, I've run the numbers again in Auckland. Home and incomes take about 6% longer to sell there. So if it takes you 37 days to sell a house, which is the average at the moment for a normal house in Auckland, might take you 39 days to sell a home and income. And sometimes it's been, you know, quite substantially longer, maybe 20% longer. But I don't think it's much of an issue. There are too few sales of home and income properties in other parts of the country to, to give you some robust data. That's why I'm specifically talking about Auckland here. Now, who is this sort of property investment strategy going to suit, Andrew? So I think it's great for anyone who is an old school investor and they've got a property, an older property with a bit of land, and they're looking to increase their cash flow. And it also works really well for retirees. So if they've owned their property for a while, and they've got a backyard and they're thinking, I really need to generate some income to supplement my superannuation. That could be a really good idea as well to put an extra unit on your property and have a normal tenant in there paying you some mailbox money. And generally speaking, this is going to be people who are wanting to run a more active strategy. People like Becky and Michael, who we had on the case study Sunday a couple of weeks ago. And let's go through briefly the pros and cons of this. You know, some of the pros people will talk about is potentially some instant equity. So if you build the property and it costs you 250k to knock up this minor dwelling, maybe your property is worth 275k more. Now, I've looked at a couple of different examples and generally from the numbers I've run, it doesn't look like you'll make too much out of building a minor dwelling on the property. Does that make? No, I don't think so. I think you just put the cost of it as being the increased value. I don't think there's instant equity in it. Well, even if you think about what we were talking about before, average property in Auckland, about a million bucks if you look at median sales price, home and income properties are 35% more on average. So let's call it 1.35 mil. And we said it costs you on the higher end about 300k to install a minor dwelling. You're not making that much instant equity. The main benefit is the cash flow. You've got more rental income, but you don't have to buy the land again. What are some of the cons you see, Andrew? I think if you are doing like Michael and Becky did, 
doing an actual build contract, there's a real risk that your cost can blow out. Remember, theirs was out massively, and all of a sudden that money that they were hoping to make, like my development, they, they planned on making a whole lot more money than they actually did. And again, you've got a more limited pool of buyers when you come to sell the property because some people might like to have a backyard or they just don't want to have to pay that extra amount of money for something that they're not necessarily going to use. And I also think that it's a bit of a con that if, you, if you're living in the unit and you enjoy having your backyard, you might not also like to have someone at the back of your house. It might just be a means to an end. So this is a classic strategy that you might like to look into a little bit more. One thing I do want to say, of course, is that whenever we record these podcasts, we will talk about people who are building properties. And we've talked about EcoPod, Keith Hay Williams here. Just a reminder, we never take money from companies in order to mention them on the show. We just always want to give you guys the different options that are out there. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 